Well, hey there. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted podcast. This is me, Kim Constable, also known as the Sculpted Vegan, here to talk to you today about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. So today we are going to talk about the reason why I went vegan. I get asked this question all the time. People are always saying to me, Kim, can you please talk about the reason why you went vegan? What caused you to go vegan? And I've always resisted, you know, um, talking about it, not because for any sinister reason or nefarious reason, just simply because I always felt that it was just a little bit boring, to be honest. Like the reason why I went vegan, I didn't really think, even though loads of people were asking me, didn't honestly think that it would be very interesting to people. So I have resisted talking about it until now, but I was driving here to the office um, this evening and I have a a meeting later on and I thought, you know what, I'm going to come and record this week's podcast just before my meeting when it's nice and quiet and there's, you know, nobody else in the building. And I can get some peace and quiet to talk to you guys. And as I was driving, I thought, what am I going to talk about tonight? And I always keep a list in my phone of uh, things that, you know, spark my interest during the week. I keep a note in my phone whenever I get an idea or a question comes up in the group or I'm inspired by something. I keep, I write it down and then that becomes podcast episodes. But today I was driving along and I thought, people always ask me about why I went vegan. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Let's talk about that. Let's just kind of tell the story of why I went vegan. And it can be kind of a lighthearted podcast. And, you know, I don't need to bring any deep, meaningful, you know, message into it, you know, like I normally do in these podcasts. And then as I was driving, you know, different ideas were coming to me and they were forming in my mind and different stories and different things. And I began to think, you know what? Yes, the reason I became vegan, you know, may be interesting to you guys, but actually there's some something so much deeper that we can talk about tonight, um, which centers around the reason why I went vegan and continue to be vegan. So that is what we're going to dive deep into in just a second. So, but before we go there, I just want to remind you that um, if you leave a review on uh, this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, Podbean, iTunes is the best one if you listen on iTunes. If you leave a review on there um, and then screenshot it and send me a picture of the screenshot on Instagram, we will choose someone from um, the reviewers or someone who's left a review every single month to win one of our Sculpted Vegan programs. We just chose the winner of of April. Last week, we announced it on my Instagram story and that person um, chose, I can't remember her name, I should really write it down, I'm terrible, but I I didn't, so I apologize. Um, But uh, she, and I really should shout out the name on the podcast here every week because somebody listened to it would be like, oh my God, that's me, I won. So I promise to do better next time. But we we did give um, one lucky winner a Sculpt and Shred program worth $1,500. And if you wanted to win yourself a program, we give one away every single month. So you could win if you leave a review. So make sure that you leave a review, step one. Step two, screenshot it. Step three, send it to me as a direct message on Instagram. That's where we choose the winners from. We choose them from people who have sent us a direct message on Instagram. We flag those into a folder and then we choose the winner from there. So make sure you follow all three steps in order to be in with a chance of winning. Okay, so let's get started and talk about why I became vegan. So whenever I was younger, I was brought up in a little town, um, actually a little village, I suppose, called a little place called Island McGee. Now, Island McGee is deep in the country. And um, I was brought up very traditionally, you know, on a meat and two veg, the meat, potatoes and two veg diet. You know, it was, um, I remember actually reading a Delia Smith book years ago. I think she was, she kind of came around in the 70s. And in America, you may not know Delia Smith. She's an English cook, very famous in, in the UK and Ireland. And I remember reading one of her books whenever I was younger. 
longer. And she was uh, one of the recipes called for peppers, which is capsicum in Australia. It may also be capsicum in uh, America, but bell peppers, we call them here in Ireland. And one of the recipes called for bell peppers. And she was saying, now, this is quite an exotic vegetable. You may not be able to find it in your local, in your local, you know, convenience store. But if you can find this vegetable, it does make a wonderful dish of whatever. And I was reading this recently, like, oh my God, a pepper was an exotic vegetable. But really in Island McGee, where I grew up, a pepper was an exotic vegetable. We had, you know, our peas and broccoli and sweet corn. And, you know, we always had carrot and parsnip mash every Sunday. And we would have had a roast or we would have had, um, you know, chicken or pork. You know, we had meat. Meat was the center of the table. I grew up on uh, what used to be a farm, used to be a dairy farm. And meat was the center of the table. And I never thought where my food came from. I loved eating steak. Um, I was a passionate cook whenever I grew up. As I was growing up, I went to work in restaurants in my teens. Then I moved into managing restaurants in my um, late teens, early 20s. And I dated several chefs. So uh, two of my long-term boyfriends um, were chefs whenever I was in my late teens, early 20s. So I learned an enormous amount about food. And I've always been a huge foodie. And so whenever I went out for dinner, um, my my stepdad and I used to go out for dinner all the time. We were very, very close and we would have gone out to a restaurant. We would have had a rare steak with the blood oozing out of it. And we would have had, you know, a, a nice bottle of um, red wine to go with it and some vegetables or some mash on the side. I was very active. I was riding horses when I was younger. I used to ride competitively. Um, I did three day eventing um, to a high level. And so therefore it was just it was just part of the lifestyle, part of the country lifestyle lifestyle was eating meat. I never, ever thought about my food. I never thought about what I put in my mouth. Well, I did think about what I put in it, but I never thought, you know, I didn't eat for nutrition. I just ate, you know, the way I had always eaten. And because I was doing so much exercise every day, you know, riding horses competitively and working and working in the restaurants, I never had to watch my weight. I was always very, very, very lean simply because of how active I was. And so what happened was, um, I continued on this way until, you know, I was in my my early 20s. I think I was about 24. And I went to uh, I went to America. I met a friend actually at D- Dublin Horse Show. I was competing at Dublin Horse Show one year. And through a friend, I met um, a woman who became one of my best friends now. We're still best friends today. But we met um, at Dublin Horse Show. She wasn't competing, but her sister was competing. And we became instant friends, instant friends. And she invited me over to New York. She lived she was from New York or she had a house in New York, an apartment in New York. So she invited me over to New York to stay with her. And so I went over to New York and she introduced me to a group of her friends whenever we were there. And she was actually a very, very successful businesswoman. She owned multiple companies and um, she and she was only a couple of years older than me, but she was very wealthy and, you know, had built a lot of businesses herself. And so I had a huge amount of respect for her. And so anyway, this she introduced me to a group of her friends. It was a woman's group, okay? So it was a woman's group that we became, and she invited me to become part of this woman's group. And it was almost like a mentor group because at the time I was, you know, working for my mom's company, actually, or my family business. It wasn't my mom's at the time. She she bought in as a director, but it was my family business. It was a printing business. And I was working there at the time and I was, you know, in sales and I was helping to grow the company and I was really invested in being successful myself. And so she invited me to join this group of women and to become part of this mentorship. And I really respected these women in the group, like really, really respected them. And they were all vegetarian. And I remember being like, like what? Like they were all vegetarian. Like, of course I'd met vegetarians. In fact, two of my best friends at the time were vegetarians. And I remember my stepdad saying, I brought like one of my best friends home and my dad was like, 
you brought a vegetarian into my house, you know? I was like, yeah, sorry. You know, like we had a very traditional mindset about food, you know, it was a Sunday roast and steak and like I said and everything. So, and uh, so we used to laugh about the vegetarian. So whenever I joined this women's group and all of these women were vegetarian, I was really... Um, I was really confused, to be honest, because I'd never met a group of vegetarians before, but never mind a group of highly successful businesswomen who were all vegetarian. So I I was kind of curious or whatever, and um, and I, I began to look into, I began to ask reasons, you know, why are you vegetarian? And, you know, I, did, I didn't want to seem kind of stupid at the time. I was still quite young. I was only about 24, and I didn't want to seem like I was, you know, completely crazy. But I remember inquiring one day, we used to have these meetings once a week. So we would have, they were all over the world. One was in South America, one was in New York. Um, and actually two were in New York. Uh, one was upstate New York. I was here and another one was in France. And so we would meet every week on Zoom and we would have, you know, this this weekly meeting. Um, it was almost like a mastermind. And so I remember inquiring one day and I remember saying, why are you guys, why are you all vegetarian? Like why vegetarian? And they, you know, they began to explain to me or one of the women explained to me, about, um, not about, like, she didn't go into, oh, you know, the suffering of animals or anything like that, which is usually how, you know, a, a lot of 80%, 80 to 90% of vegetarians and vegans, and, you know, whenever people ask them why they're vegetarian or why they're vegan, they they go into the suffering of animals, which just makes the other person uncomfortable. But they didn't do that to me. They basically, I'll never forget, it. one of um, one of the women started to explain to me, she said, well, she said, for me, it's a, it's a personal reason. She said, you know, vegetarianism is a much more sustainable way for the world to, to be. And I said to her, I said, I don't understand. What do you mean? And she said, well, do you know that the energy that goes into feeding one cow for meat, so to kill, here in, here in Belfast, we say cow, but nobody understands me when I say cow. So whenever I'm doing these podcasts, I say cow. So she said the energy that goes into feeding one cow for meat, um, she said, could feed 2,000 people. And I was like, say what? Like, you joke. Like, what do you mean 2,000 people? And she said, well, she said, if you think about it, you know, um, she said, an, an animal, she said, you know, you, you you came from the country, you understand about dairy cows and whatever. And I said, yes, absolutely. And she said, you know, you've seen cows reared for meat. She said, those cows are, you know, the, I'd say a cow is artificially impregnated, then the cow is born. Um, and then, you know, they decide wh- which cows are going to be um, reared for meat and which cows are going to be dairy cows. And she said, the ones that are reared for meat are then, you know, taken to a, a farm or whether it's a big factory farm or whatever, wherever they're born, um, depending on what, you know, Know, part of the world they're in, those cows need tended to, they need fed with grain, they need, um, they, they're not always given grass, um, but they are given, you know, antibiotics in America, not here in Ireland, it's illegal, but they are given fed antibiotics, they're fed, you know, different supplements, they're fed, you know, grain, they are, you know, they have to be farmed effectively. And she, she said every, all of the energy that goes into raising that one cow for meat and the amount of grain that that cow will eat over its lifetime could feed 2,000 people. And I was completely blown away by this. And I was like, oh my God, it never even occurred to me. I'd never seen the world as an ecosystem in that way. I'd never actually thought of my effect on the world, right? Never thought of how I, you know, how me eating a steak could have fed other people. It hadn't occurred to me in that way. And I think that this is the problem, or this is what happens with most people, is they truly don't think of the effect of their actions and what they do. And they don't, you know, they say that there's always a um, an opportunity opportunity cost to everything. So if you have a steak on your plate, there's an opportunity cost for someone or something else of you eating that steak. And whenever I began to look into it a little more, I realized that it was true. You know, with the, if you think about the 
um, even the amount of money that it goes into, you know, to raising one cow, like the wages of the the people who work in the grain factory, the grain that is, you know, harvested and and made into bags of grain to be then driven, you know, by someone else who's being paid a wage to the farm, fa- you know, to the farm to be fed to the cow to be, and then the, the laborers on the farm, and then, you know, raising the cow, looking after the cow, you know, veterinary bills, giving antibiotics, all that different kinds of things, and then eventually that cow goes to slaughter, and how much meat does that cow actually produce? Not a lot, not not in ter- not in monetary terms, and so you know, so we we buy a steak, right? For I don't even know what a price a steak is now, but I know it's pretty expensive, and so we buy a steak, and but what we don't realize is that the amount of effort that went into getting that steak onto our plate could have fed a lot of hungry people, and you know what? There are a lot of hungry people in the world. There are people starving all over the world. They don't have enough food, but yet here we are plundering our resources and plowing all our resources into feeding cows so we can eat their meat. Whereas if we just ate the bloody grain that we feed the cows with, or we harvested it or made it into bread or food or cereals or or all of that other stuff that human beings eat and then shared it amongst the world, there would be no hungry people in the world. Now, that was profound for me. That was absolutely profound. I had never in my life considered an ecosystem like that before. And as I got, you know, into, you know, the the research and I started to look into learning about the effects that eating animals, eating animals has on the planet, um, I it, it just blew me away. And so I could see why these women were vegetarian. They weren't vegetarian necessarily because, you know, they loved animals. That was part of it. You know, it was a do no harm mentality. It was a all being are worthwhile. Our beings, all beings are, you know, are not our equal, but are worthwhile, are valuable, you know, on this planet. That was, you know, the mindset that they were coming from. And I absolutely and utterly loved it. And so I decided that I would become vegetarian. Now, so I, but I didn't honestly, if I'm honest, I didn't become vegetarian because I had this profound realization of, oh my God, there are starving people everywhere and I must feed the starving people and I can never eat another piece of meat again. Like it wasn't like that for me. It wasn't a, um, like an epiphany moment, if you like, um, like a, like a big integration. It was more just that I was like, okay, well, these are women that I respect. They're highly successful in business. They have, you know, they're wealthy because they've built up a lot of money and through their business practices. And obviously they know more than I do, so I'm going to become vegetarian too. So I became vegetarian because I really loved this group of women that I was now, that I considered myself to be part of. So I did the right thing for the wrong reason, right? I didn't become vegetarian for the for the animals. I became vegetarian because I knew it was the right thing to do and I decided to do it anyway, even though it wasn't, you know, this a big epiphany moment. And I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of misconception around there about why people become vegan or vegetarian. I think that, you know, a lot of non-vegans or vegetarians assume that most of us have had this, this massive epiphany moment, right? Where we've like suddenly realized that we just love animals so much that we can't kill them. And for many people, that is true. For you may be listening to this going, well, you know what, Kim, that is me. Like I watched a documentary or I watched Forks Over Knives or I watched, you know, Earthlings or, you know, one of the other documentaries and I just realized I could not eat animals anymore. I love them too much. And if that's your reason, that is perfect and that is wonderful and that is noble, but it definitely wasn't my reason. I My reason was because I respected these women. I, I realized that vegetarianism would be better for the planet. I did love animals and I, and I got to a point where I didn't want them to suffer and I didn't want to eat them, but that wasn't the main reason that I became vegetarian. 
And so I remember reading a passage a few years later. I'm totally going to bastardize it because I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was in a book that I was reading, like a philosophical book. And it said that, you know, um, if you hold out an apple in your hand, right, one man will see an apple. They will just see an apple that will satisfy their hunger immediately. You know, eat apple, hunger goes away. Okay. Another man will look at that apple and he will see a tool for nutrition and health. So yes, he will see that it will satisfy his hunger, but he will see a deeper purpose or a deeper meaning in the apple, which is this is a tool for nutrition and health. And then another man will look at that apple and he will see an entire ecosystem. He will see the soil that was, you know, that was that was laid down and the seed that was planted to create the tree that grew the apple, that harvested the apple, that brought that apple to your hand. So he just won't see it as a tool for nutrition and hunger. He will see that apple as representative of an entire ecosystem. It's like some people will see a car, okay? And all they will see is a car, whereas other people will see and the ecosystem that was brought together to create that car. Like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. If you were to lay all of the parts of a car out side by side on the ground, each of them individually would be useless. Put them all together and it creates an absolutely incredible invention. And so I realized, you know, pretty early on that I am a systems thinker. I am the kind of person who wants to know why do things work? Why do they, you know, why do they do what they do? And how can I make them better? Whenever I was younger and the VHS recorder broke or the TV broke or stopped working or the remote control, my grandmother and my great-grandmother who lived right next door to us in our farm in Islet McGee, um, they used to call me in to fix it. And so even if I didn't know how to fix it, they had faith in me that I could fix it. And because they had faith in me, I usually figured it out. I was able to press buttons. What did this do? What did this do? What, what happened here? What happened there? And I could always figure out how to fix the damn thing. And so I, I, I became a systems thinker very, very um, early on in my life. And, and I, once I saw a system and, and well, not even once I saw it, I was always very uh, interested in finding out systems, in looking at systems and seeing, you know, how systems come to be. And once I got the data of how um, we are basically depriving, starving people in the world of food every time we feed a cow, it was, it, I just couldn't go back. I couldn't go back from there. I I couldn't go back from the fact that I was contributing to starving people. And and it, But it wasn't even like, oh, I need to save the starving people. It's hard to explain what it was for me. It was kind of like once I got the information, I couldn't unsee it. Once I was smarter through having the information, I felt that to have that level of information and not act on it, have that deep understanding of an ecosystem and not do something about it in my own life, I almost felt like I would be breaching against my own ethics. Does that make sense? It almost, it's not, you know, the way you, you hear somebody saying something I said all the time on Instagram, I'm like, oh my God, I need to unsee this. You know, you see someone, you're like, I need to unsee this. And it can be something funny or something gross, or whatever, but you need to unsee it. But it was kind of like that with me. Once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And so I started to uh, move into being, you know, the world of vegetarianism, but it wasn't smooth. Like I craved meat. I felt, you know, I whenever I went to family parties and I was now a vegetarian, I felt deprived not having it. I remember driving to a wedding once my, my, um, my husband, Ryan, at the time, I'd only just met him. Like Ryan and I only met like two weeks and I fell pregnant. <laughs> Not even joking. I think we met at the end of um, the, we met on the 23rd of, of January and I was pregnant on the 13th of February. So that's how good. So quickly, three weeks later, um, I was pregnant. And so 
he had agreed to be best man at his best friend's wedding. And of course, you know, I I wasn't even, whenever his friend got married, I wasn't even in the picture. But then suddenly, you know, a couple of months later, not only was I in the picture, but I was pregnant. So I was very quickly upgraded to, uh, from evening guest at the wedding to daytime guest at the wedding. But Ryan had had to go the day before. And, uh, and I drove his car up uh, to the wedding on the Saturday. It was up in Donegal, which is about three hours drive from Belfast. And as I was driving, I remember I stopped off to get something to eat on the way because I was really starving. And I remember there was one of these, um, it's a, it's called a jambon over here. And it's this really disgusting, but totally delicious pastry with, you know, like melted cheese inside and bacon and all that kind of stuff. And I remember standing at the counter and I hadn't eaten bacon since I decided to go vegetarian, which wasn't that, you know, it was, which was only about six months previously. And I remember standing there, I think it was ham actually in it. And I was standing there like, well, I won't die, will I won't die, will I won't die. And then I just made the decision to, to just buy it. And I, and I went out to the car and I literally ate this thing so fast in the car like almost as if like someone would see me and I'm sitting in the middle of bloody Donegal right there's not there's not a person in sight and I'm in like a, a gas station or a petrol station on the way up to Donegal but I remember feeling like so ashamed that I had broken my own ethics and it was so ridiculous because I was the one who decided to go vegetarian nobody cared if I was vegetarian and in fact it was highly inconvenient for my family that I was vegetarian they all wished that I wasn't but um, it was you know it was it was tough like I really did have cravings in the beginning and it wasn't just like I decided I was going to do this and I was going to do it. I had like loads of slip ups along the way. But I think that, you know, one of the things that has really helped me to to then move from being a vegetarian into a vegan is probably... Um, is probably developing a deep sense of empathy over the years because it, it was a quite a few years before I actually turned full vegan. So I I was vegetarian from I was about 24, um, 24 I think it was, and I didn't actually turn vegan until I was, oh my goodness, I want to say 34. So how many years would it be now? Would it be seven years? I think about 34, I didn't turn full vegan, 34, maybe even 35. I think it was about 35. It was just after I, I, I just before I started de-yoga tox, my, my yoga detox company, I was practicing yoga. I was vegetarian. Obviously it became very easy to be vegetarian. And then I decided to, um, I decided to become vegan, but it wasn't until, you know, a good 11 years later that I decided to become vegan. And, um, I guess, you know, what, what made me become vegan was, I, I, I'm the kind of person who, who likes to make things hard for myself. That's really the only way I can describe it, right? If there's the hardest version of something, I want to do it. And I'm just naturally that way. I'm like, you know, if, if, if I'm working on something or doing something or I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of something and there's, I find out there's a harder version, that's my goal. So I was a vegetarian already but I wasn't vegan. And, you know, vegan was something that was always kind of dangling in front of me. And I used to think, well, I'm vegetarian, like I may as well go vegan because, you know, obviously over the years, as I developed more knowledge in food and nutrition, which had always been hugely important to me, vegan um, health, nutrition, you know, yoga, I really started getting into yoga. I really started to learn about the body and the, the systems, the digestive system and the liver and the pancreas. And anyone who's heard me talk about this before will know just how much of a geek I am about the inner body. Body. And again, I think it stemmed from my early love of systems. The human body is a system. People don't realize this. The human body is probably the most complex system that exists in the world. 
And so I I get I really geek out on figuring out how does this system work? Why do we think the way we do? Why do we act the way we do? Why do we poop the way we do? Why does how does our liver work? How does our digestive system work? How does our body absorb nutrients? How do we absorb calories? You know, so I've always I got deeper and deeper and deeper into the human body as a system, and I got very deep into health, what promotes health, what promotes nutrition. I began to learn about food, what they put in our food, what aspartame is, what hydrogenated fats are, and why they're bad for the body. And as I went deeper and deeper and deeper into my research, I realized that probably eating dairy products, because all I had at the time was I would have had milk, cow's milk, um, dairy milk, and I would have, you know, eaten cheese and that kind of stuff. You know, I didn't, um, well, I think those are the main things that vegetarians eat, eggs, cheese, butter, and uh, dairy, and dairy, you know, milk. And so I, um, I began to realize through my research that maybe, you know, I began to hear that dairy was very mucus forming in the body. And actually, whenever my second son, Kai, was born, I, um, I had been eating a raw food diet for two years, a raw a raw food vegan diet, but I didn't even see it as a vegan. I saw it as a raw food diet. Now, by default, a raw food diet is vegan, but I, I didn't do it to be vegan. I did it because I wanted to be raw because it was the latest trend, the latest craze, and I'm always I was always on the latest food craze, whatever it was. And so I had eaten a raw food diet, and then after, and I'd done it the whole way through my pregnancy with Kai. He's 13 now. Then whenever Kai was born, I uh, find it very hard to stay raw. And so I started, you know, going out, you know, with with the Corey when he was younger and Kai when he was a baby for cappuccinos. You know, I would go out for a cappuccino with a friend and I would have a dairy milk cappuccino. And I began to notice that Kai would vomit and like they call it posit over here. So he's not he wasn't full on vomiting, but he would just go like Bleh. Like every time he burped, he would bring up milk, like really sour milk. And I was breastfeeding at the time. So I I began then to realize there was a link between every time I had a cappuccino and Kai vomiting. And I realized that he had an intolerance to dairy, which he was getting through my breast milk. So I I cut out, I, as an experiment, I cut out dairy. And as soon as I cut out the dairy, he stopped doing it. And the, so I, oh, there were all these triggers around. I was like, okay, well, you know, all of the evidence points to the fact that animal fat is not bad for us. It raises our cholesterol. It's full of saturated fat. I knew about saturated fats and why they were bad for you. I, you know, I, 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 I just knew I couldn't really ignore the research. So the veganism was always kind of dangling there in the background, and I was like, yeah, I know it's the best decision. It's I know it's the best possible decision that I could make for my health. But you know, I just wasn't really ready to make the leap. Right? I hadn't had that trigger. It was like, you know, it was like years ago whenever I learned about the vegetarianism. You know, I, I, it was there and it was something I was aware of and it was something I thought that I probably should do, but, you know, I didn't really want to make the leap. But I kind of didn't really want to do it because really for health reasons or certainly not for the animals, but more because it was harder than vegetarianism and I'm the kind of person who likes to do hard things. Now, listen, if you're going to come on this podcast and listen to me, you know I'm not going to bullshit you, right? I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and pretend that it was for this and this and this. I think there's so much bullshit in the world. And the reason why people relate to me is because I come on, I tell it like it is. And then they go, oh my God, that's what it's like for me too. Thank God someone said it out loud. Because we're all thinking this shit inside, right? Just nobody's actually willing to say it out loud. Except me, of course. Well, actually, loads of people are willing to say it out loud, but not many. I wish more people were willing to say it out loud. So hopefully this helps you to be more firm with whatever whatever food choice you make with yourself and be more vocal about it and, and unapologetic. So anyway, I was um, I always wanted to be vegan because I, I thought it was the harder option. And I remember one day watching um, something on, on YouTube and there was this girl and she was a vegan and she was a beautiful, she had really gorgeous long blonde hair. And she was talking about, yeah, you know, people always ask us what we eat and 
I think she was a nutritionist or a doctor or something. This was something come up on my Facebook maybe. And she was saying, you know, yeah, well, you know, it's, we would have this, we would have this. I remember her saying, you know, and we'll have like on a Friday night, we'll have like pizza with like vegan cheese and whatever. And I remember being like, vegan cheese, fuck me. Sounds so unappetizing. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> so good. but I remember thinking, oh, I would love to be like this woman. Like I projected into her and I was thinking she's so blonde and so healthy and so perfect. Like I used to look at her and I looked at her that day and I thought, vegans must be so pure and so perfect. And it was like, I was always striving for perfection. I wanted to be perfect and pure and, you know, and, and, and do the hard thing and striving. And so this is why I wanted to be vegan. Okay. It wasn't for any other noble reason except I just wanted to be like do the hard thing. So what happened then was I kept seeing people talk about this book, The China Study. Okay. So I saw The China Study um, coming up again and again and again and people saying, oh my God, once I read the China study, I couldn't go back. Because of course, then once I began to become interested in veganism, I began to kind of look around and, you know, and see vegan groups on Facebook. And I began to notice vegan everywhere. And so I I noticed a recurring theme was people said to me, if you read the China study, you will never eat dairy or meat again. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't even know that I want to read the China study because, you know, I wasn't ready to give up on my beliefs yet, right? I wasn't ready to give up on my dairy or my, no, I wasn't eating meat, but my dairy or my pizzas or my cappuccinos or whatever. I kind of didn't want to be convinced the other way. And then one day I think I just decided, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. And so I bought the book, The China Study, and I started to read. And it was true what they said. I mean, it's a pretty heavy read at times. The start is very, very simple, but it does get a little heavier as it gets on into the scientific studies. But I read it from cover to cover. It's a big book. But basically, and I'm going to bastardize it here, by the way, because I really can't, you know, it's been so long ago since I read it, like six years, seven years since I read it. And I certainly haven't refreshed my memory. But I remember, um, I remember reading the book. And what they show you in the book is studies done in rats. Rats, interestingly, have such a similar composition to humans in terms of their, um, their, their digestive systems and their, um, their cell tissue, even like their, the milk that they feed their baby rats. It's incredible how, how like they are to humans, which is why they do a lot of testing on rats. So they were able to show, or they, they by mistake, realized in the China study, um, they were doing experiments. This doctor was doing um, experiments on rats, and he realized that he could turn on and turn off cancer growth in rats by increasing their animal protein over, I think it was 15%, but I'm not 100% sure, over a certain percentage, a low percentage, 15 or 20%, or turn off cancer growth by reducing it below Say, say, let's say 15%. And you're probably going, no, Kim, it wasn't 15%. It was X if I got it wrong. But let's say 15% for argument's sake. They were able to, um, he, he discovered this quite by accident, that the animals that were fed protein, animal protein specifically, over a certain percentage, developed cancer. The ones who were fed below didn't. And then once they realized this link between this, they started experimenting by, they, they what they did was they actually gave the rats cancer. Okay, so they injected them with a the cancer. So they developed a tumor. And then they, they experimented with making the tumor grow and making the tumor shrink by increasing and decreasing animal protein. And the results were absolutely irrefutable. In order for something to be a science, it has to be verifiable, measurable, and reproducible. If it's not verifiable, measurable, or reproducible, it's not considered a science. If there's not peer-reviewed studies, if there's not studies um, done over and over and over again, you cannot publish a science and you cannot publish a study in a scientific journal. And the science was absolutely irrefutable with what they were able to show. 
And I, once, you know, and then they showed all the different, the reason why it's called the China study is because it was the largest study of nutrition ever done on mankind. They studied all the countries of the world. They did, and I think that it's called the China study because one of the dictators in China, I think the story was that he got cancer and then he, um, so he was the one who funded or who ordered this massive study of, you know, where were, where was the cancer in China? Why was there cancer? Where was the cancer in the world? And I think it spawned this enormous study, which showed basically that um, all of the cancer cancer and the heart disease in the world is concentrated in the areas that eat a huge amount of animal protein and dairy specifically, and it's much, much reduced in the areas that don't. Now, it's not actually animal protein, I don't think, um, is the worst, as in meat is the worst. It's actually, case, they, they, they find that casein, um, which is the protein in milk, is actually um, a massive cancer trigger. They were able to link it to type 1 diabetes, to different, you know, to multiple sclerosis, to different autoimmune diseases, and especially to cancer. And see, once I read this book, being the systems thinker that I am, being the, you know, in inquisitive, integrative, you know, like wanting to know how things work, why they work, or whatever. And also it was it was a moment for me, kind of like I whenever I heard that the um the energy that went into feeding one cow for meat could feed two thousand hungry people. Once I got this information, I couldn't go back. I could not go back. I could not unsee what I had seen. And my goal for my life is to be is to live a long and healthy life. I have seen too many people die horrible deaths from cancer. And I have seen too many people, you know, get autoimmune diseases and and just and not be healthy and have heart disease and triple bypasses and all of this shitty stuff happen to them. And I and I just wanted to shout from the rooftops if you read, you know, I, I I knew a couple of people whose family members were suffering from cancer, and I was like, I was like, get them to read the China study. Read the China study. It it is insane to me that somebody who has an illness, right, would not take charge of their own education around that illness. It is insane to me that somebody would not do every single thing within their power to heal themselves or to find a way to heal themselves if they find themselves in that position. And so I kept telling everybody about the China study, read the China study. Oh my God, read the China study. I became like evangelical about the China study and not pushing it onto people, but just suggesting that this is something really, really valuable that they could, you know, that they could pursue. And once I had, once I had read it, I couldn't go back. I, I want to live a long and healthy life. Okay. That is my goal. I want to be there for my kids. I want to be there for my grandkids. I do, I, I, I'll admit, right. I am terrified of feeling sick, right? I am terrified of being sick. If I got some, if I got an illness that that incapacitated me, I would be the worst fucking patient in the world because I am such a go-getter. I am like, go, 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 go all the time, never stopping, always going, always, you know, on the go and, and living life to the fullest. And I would be the worst sick person in the world. So I will admit that one of my highest values is avoiding being sick at all cost. I do not want to be sick. So whenever I read the China study, this seemed to show beyond all reasonable doubt that I could avoid getting sick by cutting out meat, by cutting out dairy out of my diet. I just went ahead and did it. So I would love to say to you here that that the reason why I went vegan was was for the animals and for the suffering. It really wasn't. The reason I went vegan went went vegan went vegan was was kind of narcissistic. 
I wanted to look after number one, okay? But here's here's something I want to suggest to you, okay? So a lot of people, you know, whenever I tell this story, some people are like, well, that's terrible. You should, <laughs> you should, what about the suffering of the animals? And I'm like, well, you know, I say to them, I just wanted to, you know, make myself feel better. Being vegan makes me feel better. And they're like, well, I'm not vegan for that reason. I'm vegan for the animals. And I'm like, well, I said, how do you feel whenever you know that animals are suffering? Oh my God, I feel terrible. And I'm like, okay, so how do you feel whenever you know animals are not suffering? You've saved animals. I feel wonderful. I'm like, okay, so you you just want the same thing as me. And they're like, I don't understand. I said, well, you just want to feel better. But how you feel better isn't knowing that you're going to live along and you know you have a better chance of living a long and healthy life. How you feel better is knowing that the animals are not suffering. So ultimately, we want the same goal. We, we just want to feel better. And that kind of stumps some people who are insistent on being angry and punishing. They don't know what to do with that. But it is true. Like all of us, you know, we, we just want to feel better. And whether your reason for being vegetarian or vegan or whatever you decide to do for yourself, whether that is a noble reason, as in like you are doing it for the benefit of, of mankind and all of the animals, or whether it's a personal reason, you don't want to be sick or you want to be healthier or you want to, you know, maybe um, creating a more sustainable world is your value whatever your reason, it's okay to do the right thing for the wrong reason, okay? It's perfectly okay to do that. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And in fact, it's better to do the right thing for the wrong reason because it's always okay to do the right thing. It's always okay to do the right thing. And I have found that, you know, being being vegan and, and you know, and, and let me just I suppose, clarify. Actually, let me tell you something else. So what happened for me was in the beginning, whenever I became vegan, I didn't know that a vegan was, that there were different classifications of vegan, right? I didn't know there was ethical vegan or there was, you know, non-ethical vegan or plant-based or like, that didn't really even exist, you know, years ago. People, you were either vegan or you weren't. But what I understood vegan to be was you don't eat animal products. I didn't know anything about not eating or wearing leather or not, not eating, sorry, not wearing leather or, you know, or having, you know, feather pillows or feather bedding or I didn't realize that vegan was, you know, not even eating honey. I didn't realize that it was anything to do with that. I just thought vegan was not eating animal products. That was my understanding of being vegan. And so whenever I, um, but it never even occurred to me because normally whenever someone turns vegan or whatever, now we're a lot more connected because of Facebook and Instagram and all that. But whenever someone turns turns vegan, they don't really have anyone outside of their friends and family questioning their decisions or their choices as to why they turn vegan. But unfortunately, whenever you brand yourself as, ha ha ha, the sculpted vegan and you put yourself out there in the world, you open yourself up to all kinds of fucking crazy. (laughs) You really do, let me tell you. Because so what happened was one day I was, I never forget, I was sitting in my living room and, um, I was, uh, a woman messaged me on Instagram. I, I had I had become, whenever I became vegan, I had started, um, you know, I, I was practicing yoga at the time. I had a company called Diyoga Talks. I still have Diyoga Talks, actually. You guys should check it out um, online. So Diyoga Talks was a thing and I was just starting into bodybuilding and I was journaling my, you know, my, or I was recording um, my, my journey to stage as a vegan bodybuilder. I just started training as a vegan bodybuilder. I knew that I was developing, um, I was going to develop a, a, a program to 
sell, which, you know, documented my journey. And so I started an Instagram account called The Sculpted Vegan. I didn't even know that was going to be the name of my company. I just decided that that's what I was going to call myself on Instagram because I was vegan and I was damn well going to be sculpted. So I called myself The Sculpted Vegan. There was really no thought went into it over and above that because I get a lot of flack for it now. People are like, you yeah, how dare you? You should call yourself The Sculpted Vegetarian or you should call yourself The Sculpted Sculpted Plant-Based. And I'm like, listen, seriously, guys, you're fucking thinking too much into this here. You give me too much credit for coming up with this with this name. I was just sitting one day going, yep, want to be sculpted and I'm a vegan, so I'm going to call myself Sculpted Vegan. So this woman messaged me on Instagram one day. I just started putting out, you know, videos and pictures and whatever. She messaged me and she said, you know, very respectfully, she said, I love your content, love what you do. It's great to see someone, you know, promoting, you know, um, veganism. Can I ask, you know, are you vegan or are you plant-based? And I was like, confused. I was like, am I, am I what? And I messaged back and I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Now, this is only, this is in like 2016. Okay. 2016, four years ago. This is 2020 now. And I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know what you mean. And she said, you know, are you vegan, like fully vegan or are you plant-based? Meaning that you, you will wear or, you know, use animal products, but you just won't eat them. And I said, I have never even heard of the term plant-based. I don't need, I didn't until now. This is the first time I've ever heard of it. And she said, yeah, vegan is someone who doesn't wear animal products or, you know, doesn't use, consume or use any animal products, but plant-based is someone who, you know, just doesn't eat animals or, you know, animal products. And I remember being like, oh my God. I remember thinking, holy shit, am I misrepresenting myself? You know, I remember thinking, I don't want to misrepresent vegans or I don't want to misrepresent because at the time, you know, I like full transparency, I wear cashmere. Even now today, I still wear cashmere. I am not an ethical vegan, which I think is now how most people describe it. And I'm sorry if that shocks you and you're not angry at me, but that's that's who I am. Um, and I do still wear leather. Uh, I, I, I haven't bought, well, actually, that's not true. I bought a, a belt. Actually, my husband bought me a belt recently, which was leather. So, but I, I don't wear, I don't purposely go out and buy a lot of leather products or try to, you know, use a lot of animal products, but I'm certainly, I'm not against, um, I'm not against wearing them or using them. And so, but I just don't eat animals. I'm completely plant-based. And so I was really shocked that there was a difference between veganism and plant-based. And I, I really didn't know. And I remember then evaluating for a minute and going, God, I've called myself the sculpted vegan and maybe I shouldn't and whatever. And, but my, my, everything had started to gain traction. And I was starting to build awareness around not eating animals. And I thought, no, do you know what? I'm, I'm happy with the name. And, and, I, I, I decided to stay with the name vegan simply because words are just a representation of a thought object. Words and language has been created by man in order to communicate more effectively. That is why that is why words exist. Um, words, so we have decided that the word vegan means something. It's human beings that give words meaning, okay? So if I say to you the word mother, Okay, we all know what a mother is, but the word mother has a different meaning to every person. When I say mother to you, you will conjure up a feeling and a memory of your mother. Maybe it'll be a smell, a way she wore her hair. Maybe it'll be, you know, um, that, you know, something warm and loving. Maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your mother. Maybe your your thought object or your, your emotions around mother are of anger or regret or abandonment. Maybe they're not pleasurable words. So we, we have, we give words meaning, okay? So the word vegan is understood by many, by most, to mean does not eat 
animal products, okay? Most people who are not vegan or in that community are not aware that it means anything different. And so because my goal was to help to educate um, omnivores, carnivores, vegetarians, people who were not currently vegan um, into showing that you can sculpt muscle and burn fat and and all of those things on, you know, without eating animals, that was my primary goal when I started my Instagram account, when I started my business. It wasn't to join the forces of the vegan community and unite myself with them and, you know, and create an army of, you know, of passionate vegans who were going to change the world. My goal was to show people like me who had been like me, hey guys, it is possible to sculpt muscle and burn fat even at age 37 without eating any animals. That was my goal. And so because whenever I asked people, you know, as I did get a little bit of data after that, you know, what does the word vegan mean to you? To most people, it just meant that they don't eat animals. In fact, to a lot of people, a lot of people who really have no clue say to me all the time, well, do you eat fish? I'm like, is a fish a swimming vegetable? And they're like, no, I'm like, well, then I don't need it. And, um, you know, even my chef, Ian, who works for us, you know, in Team Sculpted Vegan, he's not vegan, but he's very, very good at it. He made me a pad thai the other week and he put fish sauce in it. And I was, I took one, one forkful of it and I was like, Ian, is there fish sauce in this? And he was like, yeah, it's pad thai. I was like, no, no, but Ian, I don't eat fish. He was like, but it's fish sauce. I was like, but it's made from fish and I'm vegan. And he was like, all right, okay, I'm sorry, I'll make you another one. But even he, he was like, well, it's only fish sauce. Like, you know, she's not going to not eat the fish sauce. You know, people just don't understand, you know, what it really means. And so I think that I, so I decided to stay with the word vegan because I think that it was, um, it, it accurately represented what it was I was trying to convey to the people I was trying to convey it to. And I felt that I, you know, and I was comfortable with my message. But let me tell you something. The shit that I have received recently since veganism became popular from the diehard vegans about my name is absolutely insane. And the, the first time I realized that vegans could be a bunch of nasty bastards was whenever I went into, into the Facebook group, whenever I first turned vegan, as you do, right? You want to find other vegans. You're like, yay, I'm vegan. I'm new. I've joined the community. And you're like, hey, guys, I'm over here. I'm one of you. And you know, and, and I joined one of these, you know, Facebook communities. I remember I was scrolling through the, the posts one day and, and this girl had posted and she'd said, oh my God, she said, you know, does anyone here ever still really crave cheese? Like, it's been so hard for me to give up cheese. And, you know, and I, and I remember reading this, I was like, yes, I understand because I had really, really struggled to give up cheese. And, uh, and, and I remember reading, I thought, oh, you know, I must comment and say, yeah, yeah, me too. And I went in to write a comment and I started like scanning through the comments that had been written. And I was shocked by what I saw. The amount, now some of them were nice comments and people saying, yes, yes, me too. But there, were, there was a massive amount of them were like, you know, um, whenever I look at a piece of cheese, all I see is a cow that's been impregnated and her baby ripped from her to force her into, you know, milk production to make. And I'm like, holy shit, like fucking ease off woman. You know, like, I was like, really? Like you, you're actually saying this to a stranger? Like, and then I read through the comments and some of them were like, you know, really, you know, like punishing to this woman. Like, how dare you crave cheese? And it was almost as if, if we can make you feel bad enough about yourself and about the suffering of the animals, then you will change your ways and you will not want cheese. And I'm like, 
oh my God, seriously, are we actually doing this? Like, it is archaic to act that way. It's like, like you know, capital punishment, well, corporal punishment went out, not capital, corporal punishment went out years ago, you know, whenever they used to hit kids in school and stuff. But this shit still exists in the Facebook groups. And and what I, as I began to notice it there, I began to realize that it was a real thing. There were, you know, people were afraid of vegans. People were afraid of turning vegan. People were afraid of talking about vegans or talking to vegans because they thought they were going to get you know, their throats ripped out and their eyes gouged out with a spoon because vegans, you know, a lot of vegans are so, so, so fearful and angry. And here's my take on that, right? And I I, uh, I talk about this a lot on my Instagram. So whenever, whenever you are angry about something, okay, anger is based in fear. Anger, the basis of all anger is fear. How do we know this? Because whenever your fight or flight is triggered, your fight or flight is a lower brain function. You do not have control over your fight or flight. It is something that happens in your body involuntarily. So whenever your fight or flight is triggered, you either gear up to fight or you run away. But the basis of both of these is fear. You feel your fight or flight, uh, what is triggered first is fear, you get an adrenaline rush in your body and either you fight, which is anger, or you run, which is fear. So fear is always, always, always underneath anger. Now, whenever I feel anger, it's because I'm fearful. It doesn't, it, no one can make you angry, right? Someone can act in a certain way which triggers your fight or flight, which causes you to feel anger, but that person did not make you angry. If you see something in the world that you want to punish, that is representative of a fear that you have inside, okay? Punishment is is corrective in nature. So punishment is, I want to inflict emotional or physical pain on you to correct or stop your behavior, why do I want to do that? Because I have a pain inside of me. I saw your behavior. It triggered my fight or flight. I now feel pain inside and I want to stop you from doing what you're doing so I can stop the feeling inside. It's almost like closing your eyes at the bad part of a movie or pretending that something doesn't exist, shutting your eyes to a problem, right? If I shut my eyes to the problem, it doesn't exist and my fear goes away. That's what punishment is. Punishment is I feel fear, I feel anger, and I want to punish you to stop you from doing the thing that's causing me to feel this way. Sadness is different. Sadness is not based in fear. Sadness is I see the world is this way and it causes me to feel sad. I feel that way about kids that have to go to school. And that's the honest to God's truth. Whenever I hear about parents, especially at the minute, we're in the minute, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Whenever I hear about parents forcing their kids, you know, to sit down or the schools, you know, sending home work and, you know, all the parents get to relax and be off work and not all of them, but many of them and enjoy this family time. But yet kids are still forced to do arbitrary work, which is literally not going to serve them in any way in the rest of their life. Like whenever I, I, no anger at all there, Kim, maybe something I need to look at under there. So, um, you know, whenever whenever I see that, it makes me feel sad. And I feel sad for the kids and I feel sad for the parents that think that, that you know, the world has to be this way. And But it doesn't, I don't get punishing towards the parents. I'm not like, you're bad, you're wrong. I dare you do this to your child. You're going to burn in hell. You know what? Like, I'm not, you know, not like that. But I'm like, if someone asks me my opinion, I will offer it. 
But then I just go on about my life and I don't think about it anymore. And I think I feel so sorry for those poor kids because that that's my value, okay? My value is that kids shouldn't have to live a life that way. But I'm okay if you choose for your kid to live that way. It makes me feel sad, but it doesn't make me angry or fearful. So whenever someone sees me using the word vegan or someone sees someone doing something which doesn't, you know, which, which triggers their fear or anger inside, they want to punish that person for being that way. Or, or doing that thing so that they can stop the feeling inside. I get this a lot in the public arena. I get it a lot on Instagram. People come on my Instagram and they see the sculpted vegan and they make it mean all kinds of shit about me that isn't true. They go, oh, look at this girl. She's she's vegan and she, oh, she has these muscles and oh my God, and she must be just like me. And they write me gushing letters and you know, gushing messages. Go, oh my God, I love you and you're so amazing. And I'm so excited to finally find a vegan role model and representative and blah, blah, blah. And then one day they'll see me like, you know, carrying a Louis Vuitton bag, which has a leather strap. And they'll be like, oh, I, how dare you? Are you not vegan? And I'm like, no, no, I'm plant-based. And they're like, oh, I, how dare you misrepresent yourself? You should change your name to the sculpted vegetarian. You and like they, they unleash the full force of their anger on me. And basically what they're saying is, I thought you were like me. I saw you. I made an assumption about you. Now you've proven that that assumption is incorrect and I want to punish you. I want to make you bad and wrong for who you are because you don't live up to my expectation. So rather than going, oh, wow, I thought that person was one way and now they're not, so I'm going to unfollow them, they make you bad for letting them down. But most of us are just completely unaware that it was actually our own expectation that caused us to make up a lot of shit about this person in our mind in the first place and then caused us to be angry and fearful and want to punish that person for being the way they are. And unfortunately, that's what happens a lot in the world of veganism. It takes a very strong person to stand up and actually be true to who they are are um, online. And I don't I don't label myself. I don't label myself. Yes, you do, Kim. You're called the Sculpted Vegan. Okay. I have labeled myself using that word because it is the best representative that I can, the best word I could have chosen to represent what it is I want to represent in the world. And I believe that the value that I create, the amount of people that I have converted to plant-based through my programs is thousands, possibly tens of thousands, the amount of animals that I have personally saved through the work that I have done in the world, convincing people to not eat animals, that you don't need to eat animals in order to achieve your goals is phenomenal. But yeah, but yeah, they still want to punish me. They still want to make me bad and wrong. So just to wrap this up, I think that, you know, what I would say is no matter what your reason is for going vegan or going vegetarian, or even, you know, I, I, let me tell you, 60% of my audience who listens to this podcast and who buys my programs and follows me online is not vegan. They're not even vegetarian. Most people are omnivores and carnivores. And do you know why? Because there's a lot of people are interested in veganism, interested in being healthier, interested in living a healthier life. And they, they want someone who isn't going to punish the shit out of them you know, for for being who they are. They just want someone to lead the way. So if you want to be a leader, if you want to, if you are vegan, okay, whether you're ethical vegan or you're plant-based or whatever, if you truly want to affect change in the world, then you have to be the change you want to see in the world. It's a Gandhi quote. Be the change you want to see in the world and lead by example. And stop making people feel bad about themselves. You never, ever achieved anything great in this world through making someone feel bad about themselves. Inspire them. 
support them, lift them up. When they fall, pick them up and dust them off and tell them to try again. That is how you effect change in the world. People will follow you because they find you to be inspirational, because they want to be more like you. And if you are plant-based or vegan and doing great things in the world, then they will follow you and they will do what you suggest because they want to be more like you. So rather than making people feel bad about themselves, try to, to get people to be, you know, inspire them to want to be more like you. And let me tell you something, just to wrap this up, nobody wants to be angry and punishing and fearful. That is not an aspiration for one single human being that I have ever met. And if you are that way with people, then you teach people to be that way with others. If you have a vegan community that you're inspiring or you're part of and you're you're leading the newer members, showing them, you know, that they need to be angry and punishing in order to affect change in the world, then you're not helping the animals, you're hurting them because you're turning people off veganism. You're helping them to close their ears to the message of veganism or plant-based or vegetarian or whatever your message is. People will close their ears and their eyes and turn away because you make them feel bad about themselves. And all anybody wants is to feel good about themselves. You, me, everybody listening to this podcast, we all just want to feel good. So tap into and find a way that you can inspire people to feel good about themselves and you will effect more change in the world than you ever believed possible. So I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I hope that you have enjoyed hearing about my journey into veganism. And I'm sorry if I offended you. My language was pretty atrocious in this one. Um, I want to also just remind you to leave a review on the podcast, um, leave a review, and then send me a picture on Instagram of your review. And you could win a $1,500 Sculpt and Shred program. But if you don't send it to me on Instagram, you won't be in it. We will only choose from people who send us the, the pictures on Instagram. And also then you and I get to have a wee chat on Instagram too. And I get to know you better, which is lovely because I answer all my DMs. Um, guys, sorry to rush off on you. Um, I actually have a coaching call, which I need to go to now. And I just looked at the time. I was like, holy hell, I need to go. But I can't prattle on for ages in these podcasts anyway. But I know that you guys enjoy them because you write to me and tell me all the time. So this is me sending huge love to you. Have a wonderful week, no matter where you are. And I will speak to you next week for another episode of Strong and Sculpted. Take care. Big love from my heart to yours. Mwah.